Whoever is listening, however you are listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 35. Guys, if you haven't checked that out, episode 34 is out now, along with episodes 33 and 32, featuring some interviews from renowned guest Adam Hawk and special guest J.W. Myers, both absolutely amazing at what they do. Adam Hawk, executive producer of The Jim Rum Show, Coach J.W. Myers, future AD at Pinewood Prep and current varsity football head coach. Guys, if you haven't checked them out, I really encourage you to do so. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us if you're on Spotify. Leave us a five-star review if you like what you're listening to. And overall, just support us. We have a huge announcement to make. We are now on iHeartRadio. That's right, iHeartRadio. It'll be in the links that usually are there in the Some Links to Visit category. You can go give us a follow. You can share with your friends that the Man with the Plan podcast is on iHeartRadio. For anybody that is on there or it's been waiting for it, it's something that I put in this morning just to see if you come to, you sometimes just got to shoot your shot, I guess, and we got lucky, and I'm super happy, super thankful, super humbled because it's all because of you. Anyone who's listening, thank you. You guys are what make this possible. I just talk into a microphone and talk about sports, and you guys do the rest. You subscribe, you comment, you share the podcast with friends and family, and I have you guys to thank for it. So today's episode is more or less about you guys. We're going to do the CFP expansion, what makes it special, and what makes it dangerous. And then we're going to do what's the plan after we cut for a short break and do nine questions that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Let's get right into it. So if you ever had something that was really special at first, and I think what a lot of people do is you get a new bike, you get a new car, you get a new job, and it's this brand new thing, this trendy, you get a new social media, and it's trendy, it's new, it's something really fun. But over time, you're trying to figure out, and with anything, how to make it better, or what can I do, what can I replace it with that would make it better. And I think college football is experiencing that right now. They've gotten this new toy with the college football playoff. They had four teams. It was this great concept. We used two of the New Year's Six Bowls and make it into playoff games. A fight for the national championship included two extra teams into that battle to see if maybe a three-seed or a four-seed could maybe take down the eventual what would be the BCS format 1-2. And for most part, it's been very successful. You've had the new stories of LSU with Joe Burrow winning the Heisman Trophy, capping off an almost unreal season. You have Deshaun Watson putting Clemson back on the map like it was 1981 all over again with the touchdown pass to Hunter Renfro. You have dynasties like Alabama that continue to succeed and thrive despite new teams on the block. You've seen guys like Notre Dame make the playoffs multiple times. Hasn't been successful like they want it to be, but you've seen that this playoff has added new relevancy to what we really are used to. And for me, it's been something really fantastic and something really invigorating because you get something new almost every time, but in the end, it almost feels like it's more of the same. And I think with the college football playoff, it had its flaws. You had a lot of blowouts. You had a lot of games that people just weren't interested in. You had an entire demographic of the United States kind of not included because the Pac-12, not as strong as it used to be. It had Oregon in their first run, but the Pac-12 hasn't made an appearance since. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. So today what I wanted to do is kind of craft a topic around the college football playoff expansion. What makes it special and what makes it dangerous? So 
we're going to go through a couple things and I'll just say whether it's going to be special, whether it's going to be dangerous, and some can be both. So we'll start with something special. Content. What would make the CFP expansion special is content because I think for all of us, more games, I put kind of in the dash, more money. We obviously know 2020 has been super rough on businesses, super rough on anything that tried to really make something out of nothing because it was really tough. We didn't know how football was going to work out. It was very disorganized at some times, but you just had to kind of roll along with it. You had conferences playing at different times. Ohio State, a team that made it to the national championship, didn't play as many games as others, and that sparked controversy and sparked debates. But more games, more money, that would make it very special. You'd add more marketability because now we have this momentum building with players. They can start to earn money for their likeness. How would more games fare for these players? Obviously, who were trying, players who are trying to earn advertising for their money, for their likability for their future and just marketability overall these players that are striving maybe not to be NFL stars because it's not going to work for everybody but if you can earn a lot of money maybe Kia or Beats is watching and they get that extra game to see a wide receiver from Oklahoma make a sick grab and that goes viral on TikTok but that receiver can then use that to their advantage I think Cinderella stories because with more teams you're more likely to get a team that catches momentum earlier and with that, I think that's what makes March Madness so fascinating. This year, we had UCLA, and UCLA didn't have their best player, or it was their second best player that was out. I'm not all into college basketball, especially early on, but they made this unbelievable run, almost took down Gonzaga. Baylor, the number one seed, ended up winning it all. We'll get into that later on. Another topic that would make this expansion dangerous, but you have these stories to tell, and ESPN and these football companies can do so many great things with a story. And you could get a team like Coastal this year, or BYU, any place, any time. We've talked about BYU before because they had that game against Coastal. I thought it was special. Oh, wow, that was actually episode three. Wow. I'm going to get sidetracked because I'm going to get nostalgic. But you guys get what I'm saying on this CFP expansion. These opt-outs that you've seen a lot of bowl games and their quality. They've kind of gone down because there's this trend of what happens if I become a Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith was a Notre Dame linebacker, now a Cowboys star. And... What happened to him is he played in the Fiesta Bowl. I believe it was against Ohio State. And I think he tore his ACL and MCL. And he ended up going from top 10 pick to second round pick. And he lost millions of dollars in the process. So what a lot of players have started to do is opt out and pretty much put bet on themselves. They said, I don't need a bowl game to prove where I'm going to be drafted. I don't need this. It's too much of a risk to do this practice, do this grueling game because... I could lose out on millions of dollars. There's insurance policies, but you can never prepare for the unexpected. It's something that is so crazy, but you put some stakes online. You put some pride. Who would opt out of a playoff game if someone's about to beat, verge on beating, verge of beating Bama or verge of beating Texas A&M or Georgia or Clemson, and you opt out? It's not a good look for a playoff game. So with that, the quality of the bowl games will rise. Let's move to dangerous. More of the same. What if we get the same results? And I, this is, we're gonna, I'm gonna go from being very positive to being very pessimistic because I, I really don't like to be negative. I like to look at the glasses half full instead of half empty. But I've seen the negative comments on the CFP. What if we get more of the same? Clemson, Bama repeats. Is it just delaying the inevitable and these kids are gonna have to play more and more games? Because I think for a lot of, t- a lot of teams and a lot of players and a lot of fans, It's, am I going to watch this 12-game season just to see Clemson play Bama again and have these two blowouts where Clemson beats up on Notre Dame 
and Alabama beats up on Oklahoma, or vice versa in that in that sense, and get the same national championship. And I'm just using that as an example because they end up playing, I think, three or four years in a row. And it was like, all right, we're getting tired of this. How can we change that? It's like the thing with the bike or the car. You take that same path every single time. How can I make this more interesting? While expansion could be good, I think Alabama playing Coastal Carolina or Clemson playing a Cincinnati team, it's going to be like, are we just playing more games to stretch down to this inevitability? All right, let's move on to special. Eight. I think eight is the perfect number. I think you get your conference representation in there. I think for it's really good for the game if we can get all Power 5 teams involved because I look at it in a way of a demographic because I think the West Coast is a significant base of audience. I think this really proves well with the NBA too is because we have these two West Coast teams in Phoenix and Utah that are in the West and LA, the Lakers, the Clippers. You've got this large variety of people, a large group of people that aren't watching college football because A, their games aren't as valuable, they aren't as important. And when it comes to playoff time, it's usually dominated by teams that are from the Southeast, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. It's not the best look for a team like UCLA or Oregon or a team that's not really in the midst or the fits of it. Well, I don't even know what the heck I just said, but they're not in the thick of it. There we go. There we go. Gracie, come on. And Oregon is a team that's fascinating because they bring this marketability. They bring this appeal. Can you get them into the playoff? Can you get an interesting Pac-12 team into the playoff? If you get eight and you can get all your power five teams, your conference champions represented, represented well, that could bode well because you get more teams. And yes, it could be Oregon versus Alabama and Oregon gets their face flown off the map and it could be really ugly and just really brutal. But at least the West Coast would be involved. It'd be a demographic that hasn't been, it's been neglected, I would say, in the last couple of years in college football. It would involve more people and the more watches, the more clicks, the more likes, the more money. And some of these teams need money after a struggling 2020 season. All right, let's go move on to dangerous. Too much of a good thing. You get that new brand new car, but it crashes or the warranties just, it's just not the same. You get this new job and it's maybe appealing at first, but it's not the same. It pays a lot, but your boss is just an absolute jerk or your coworkers are unbelievably difficult to work with. You move to a new city but this new city is not, doesn't represent who you are. Is too much of a good thing or trying to change something that already worked, does that lower the product of the CFP? Does this quantity over quality thing happen where we're trying to get more of something sweet and it turns on us? And it could also be a good thing. The more games, the more money. Like I said, I said more games, more money. But is that going to also be dangerous? Some of these things correlate as a good and a bad thing. And what makes it so fascinating for me is that if you do 12, it might be too much. But if you do 8, the competition and the level of parity might be enough to where you can get both sides to kind of find a compromise. This very overarching sense of, do I want Coastal Carolina to play Alabama? Or do I want, like, maybe LSU loses two games and they're the 8 spot? They could give Bama a run for their money if Edge or Drunk get the team back. Or a Georgia team that fell off after a tough SEC championship. Maybe Kirby Smart can rally the troops. I know you're listening, Lynn. I know you're listening. Get the troops rallied for a game. Go on a Cinderella run. You can get a six seed like an Oklahoma or a, a six seed like a, a Baylor that just barely missed the mark. But, you know, maybe they have it in them this time. 
Now let's go more to special. And this is the final one. This is something that's spugged me for so long. No more of these unsettled debates. We're going to leave all questions answered. This isn't some mystery movie. We're going to get those five seats in there ready to prove themselves. Because the worst thing is when it's the one and the four and we spend hours talking about, well, I think Georgia should have been it. No, well, you see, Booker, I think it should have been Baylor. No, 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 you're missing the point, guys. It should have been Oregon. But Oregon had two losses. Or what about that Ohio State team that won their conference, but they had two losses and the ugly loss to Bob Murrow's Iowa? It leaves these debates out of here so we can talk about the games, we can talk about the storylines. And yes, teams that are pissed off are fantastic. But if we could get those teams that are pissed off and they're like, I should have gotten that first round by. Let's go to the Sugar Bowl and let's prove them wrong. Leave the debates on the table. Leave the debates off. Leave those for the people like me to talk about. Let me talk about it. I want to, I want as a consumer, I want to watch the games and not listen to myself. I hate listening to myself, by the way. It's so cringy and it's terrible. Not because I think I'm terrible. I think I'm all right. We're, we're sidetracked. Ugh. We're getting sidetracked. Stop it. I want to like smack myself in the face because we're talking about something great and a great product in the CFP, something that I really prefer over the BCS. And I grew up with the CFP practically because I started watching football right around 2010, 2011, where the BCS was kind of becoming the old tired thing. And I don't want that to become the college football playoff where people don't believe in the system anymore. And I think what can make this expansion special, keep it at eight. Keep your entire country involved because there's a lot of great players across the country like Oregon, Kayvon Thibodeau. Could he rough up Clemson's offensive line or could we get Oklahoma's talented Spencer Rattler in there? Or could we keep a QB duel between DJ and Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell from North Carolina? Can Mac Brown prove himself against the big dogs? There's so many fascinating storylines. I'm going to include that special, the new storylines, the new teams, the new kids on the block. Can those guys make something out of their new opportunity because there's coaches like Matt Brown. There's coaches like Lincoln Riley that are so damn good at what they do, but they don't get the opportunity because they're in this bowl game and maybe they have players opt out and they don't get that chance. There's so many great teams out there that just don't get their shot. You know, I'm in becoming angry at this. I, I need to stop. I need to chill out. But guys, that is the CFP expansion talk. I am so excited to see when that comes. I think 2023 is the date. So we'll see how that develops. And obviously that's going to be a lot of marketing, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we'll get into as it develops. But guys, we're going to take a short break. When I return, your questions will be answered in our what's the plan segment. Nine great questions, nine great things. I'm excited. Let's get into it. This is the man with the plan podcast. We'll be right back. back. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 35. Guys, if you skip to this part to see your question, I recommend going back. We talked about the CFP expansion, what makes it dangerous, and what makes it special. I really just want to get right into y'all's questions. 35 episodes, it's insane. Thank you guys so much. My first two pairs of questions come from Nick Reed. One, did Steph Curry get snubbed for the NFL MVP? And is Jordan Love NFL ready? So, I think when we talk about the NFL, NFL MVP, the NBA MVP with Steph Curry, I think that it's fascinating, Nick. It really is because 
I watched Steph Curry a lot this this year, and I think that he made the Warriors so much fun to watch. And the way I view NFL, NBA, any MVP award is I try not to look at the stats. I try not to look at the pure, like, just I don't try to be with the trends of the media. I try to look at value because in the word most valuable player, I don't want to feel like a teacher or like something like that or be condescending. But I really look for what would happen if you plucked him off the team and you put him somewhere else or you just took him off the Warriors and like, like last year, last year with the Warriors, when Steph Curry went down, it was an absolute tire fire. It was a disaster. They were probably the worst team in the NBA by far. They were in the lottery in the top three this year. They were in the play-in tournament competing. And a lot of people are going to discredit that MVP race because he didn't make the playoffs. He couldn't get that team over the hump. But I think what people have to understand who didn't watch the Warriors is that once people realize this dude literally was unstoppable, is they would, and when their other teammates couldn't get it done, they would pile Steph Curry with people that are like two or three people and force him to kick it out, which is what the Grizzlies and Lakers tried to do in the play-in tournament, even though Steph Curry still dropped amazing numbers. I think when you had to go with valuable, I would have picked Chris Paul or Steph Curry because I think you take those two guys off those two perspective teams and it becomes a disaster. So, Nick, to answer your question, I do think Steph Curry deserves more credit, but I think it really hurt him that he missed the playoffs. It's not his fault. I think if he had Clay Thompson and a better supporting cast, it would have been better. I think he is the most valuable player in the NBA. It just wasn't the year for that. And for Jordan Love in the NFL, it's been at this fascinating back and forth. It's literally MTV, but plugged into the NFL because Aaron Rodgers, I just he's it's such a diva thing. It's such this this constant struggle and battle between management and Aaron Rodgers. And Jordan Love has been plucked in the middle of this, and I feel so bad for him. And I think for him, he would honestly benefit from Aaron Rodgers sitting out more. He's going to get more first-team reps. He's going to get more time to work with Matt Floor. And I've heard a lot of good things, and I've heard a lot of bad things. And I think he's under tremendous pressure. If there was a guy who was under the most pressure, and I think this actually answers somebody else's question, who is under the most pressure for the NFL this year? It's Jordan Love. Because if he get, takes that Packers team and they miss the playoffs, the Packers are proven wrong. They lose all credibility. And it not, it's not really necessarily all his fault because they're literally handing him the keys to the car. And it's like the little kid in the movie that doesn't know how to drive. And he like crashes into the trash cans and stuff. Or Peter from Family Guy who just can't drive because like he's supposed to be an idiot. It's like giving the village idiot this calculator and a SAT test and say, here, get into Harvard. It's just not going to work. But with Jordan Love and NFL readiness, I think I'll answer this question after training camp when he gets the first team reps. How does he do with Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and the supporting cast that the Green Bay's tried to build around Aaron Rodgers? Jordan Love's got a lot going for him. He's athletic. He's got a cannon of an arm. I think that can work in a Matt LaFleur offense. I hear it's complicated, though. Is the NFL ready? I simply don't know. So this one comes from my guy, Ben DeLillo. Who wins the NFL MVP? And when I had this question, one person obviously comes to mind. It's Mahomes. But I didn't really want to go that route. So I'm going to give you my MVP pick. It's going to be Justin Herbert. I think that the Chargers did something very fascinating this offseason. They decided that they're going to not sit around. They're not going to let Mahomes dominate the division. They went out and made great signings. They had Corey Lindsley. They had a great draft with Rashawn Slater. You saw what Justin Herbert did, and he kind of falls in line with this trend of 
NFL QBs are players that take that significant leap in year two, and it shows, like Lamar Jackson. I think Josh Allen had a significant leap. I think that Justin Herbert's going to have a fantastic year. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen will be great receivers. Jalen Guyton, you're going to have Austin Eckler. The Chargers are going to be a team to look out for. My quick answer right now is Justin Herbert. I am absolutely fascinated with Justin Herbert and what he can do for LA. So that is my answer for you, Ben. This one comes from my guy, Joey. What is going to be Kendrick Bourne's role for the Patriots? So New England did something really interesting this offseason. They attacked, attacked, attacked. They had a horrible horrible year seven and nine not what you expect out of a Belichick led team they basically were compared side by side to Tampa Bay and what Tampa Bay had were weapons they had flash they had Brady they had Brady that hurts to hear if you're a Patriots fan out there they had Brady and they won the Super Bowl and Belichick was sitting on the couch watching it all not even a chance for the playoffs so what did he do he went and got weapons Matt Judon for the defense he re-signed Kyle Van Noy they got Jalen Mills they got Hunter Henry for the tight ends, Jonu Smith. And I think that Kendrick Bourne, he's going to be New England's gadget guy because I think Nelson Aguilar is going to be the number one. I think Jacoby Myers takes that slot role. Kendrick's your number two, but I think you can do a lot with Kendrick. I think he's very athletic. I watched a lot of his games with San Francisco. I think you could use a lot of motions and a lot of disguises with Kendrick because I think you could use his athletic ability to open up the field and really stretch the defense because then you can attack the game with the run. You can attack over the field, the short, immediate routes, really help out Cam Newton. You can honestly use this crazy H-back and just give him the ball and see what he can do because I think he's that athletic. I think that is what you're looking for for Kendrick Bourne. This guy comes from, these two questions come from Graham. Is Julio the answer for the Titans? And is what does LA need to do to get back to the ship? Graham, I think Julio is going to do one thing for Tennessee. I think it's going to keep Tannehill out of the criticism and the spotlight. I think that Tennessee's got a lot of problems that they didn't address. And Julio, obviously, is going to be like, wow, it's this brand new shiny toy. I look at, like, the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins. They have a lot of problems, but DeAndre Hopkins was able to mask some of that attention. I think Tennessee makes the playoffs. I think Julio has a fantastic year. If he stays healthy, that's a big one. But I think Tennessee's defense is struggling. They got a lot of things. They got to work out a lot of kinks in that defense. Can Mike Vrabel... Now that the offense has got their guy, they've got their studs and Derrick Henry and Julio Jones, can they settle on defense? Now for what does Los, An- Los Angeles need to do to get back? The Lakers, to get back in that championship. Whew, that was a rough first round if you were a Lakers fan. LeBron James and Anthony Davis almost unable to control the inevitable. And then you know what I think they need to do to get back to the championship? I think they just need time. They've had this stretch with the bubble. They've had a shortened offseason. They had the least amount of time along with the Miami Heat. It just caught up to them. The exhaustion, the grind of that NBA season. They had no time to get really back into shape, back into form, heal some of those injuries. And I think it showed. LeBron's got the high ankle sprain he's going to have to deal with for the rest, probably the rest of his career now. Anthony Davis is fragile. I think what you need to do is establish a point guard. I think you need to sign a veteran like maybe find a way to get Kemba's contract off. Find a facilitator. I'm just spitballing here. I know Kemba sounds stupid. Get a Rajon Rondo. Get a somebody that can a Tyler. Somebody that can really distribute the ball well. Get somebody that can really understand that offense and get LeBron and Anthony Davis the ball. But at the same time, take that load off them. Have somebody that can really step up as that leader. Maybe get Lonzo back because that's an interesting one. I'm trying to just spitball Eric Bledsoe. What comes to mind? I think somebody that fits that LA team. 
but isn't necessarily going to take it away from LeBron and Anthony Davis. This question comes from Julius. What do you think of the Robinson-ETN combo in Jacksonville? I am one of the people that I think in the very few that thought that Jacksonville did well when they drafted Travis ETN because I think running backs by committee is something that is very, I think, underrated in the NFL. I think Baltimore does this very well with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. Could be Todd Gurley soon. That could be interesting. I think that it'll really benefit for Jacksonville's offensive line when you have somebody like Robinson who's a very power back. He's very patient with the ball, and ETN's like, a speed. He's like a quick gun. He just bolts. He finds that hole and he bolts. It's very, very different styles of running back. And I think that could really benefit an offensive line that can adjust to these different styles and a defense that doesn't really know what's coming because then you can have these James Robinson has a bad game. Well, you got Travis to take over. Travis is a bad game. Well, you got James to take over. I think that is a very fascinating thing. It'll take the pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. It's something very fascinating that Julius, you need to look out for. All right, one of our next questions is from Justin. What is the potential of Damian Harris? I think in all the dark spots for the Patriots last year, Damian Harris was one of those bright ones. Damian Harris was able to reignite the Patriots offense when they were struggling 2-5. and five. He was one of those brighter, brighter pieces that New England just desperately needed. I think that you can have a dangerous combo with Damian Harris and Sonny Michelle, another running back by committee. I think the potential is something very fantastic. Maybe I don't have enough of a grip on it to really see, but I think it could be like a LeGarrette Blunt, a power back that really understands that New England role. And now with Cam Newton, you could really mix and match Sony Michelle, Damien Harris. I think there's your potential, a very, a lesser version of LeGarrette Blunt that's still powerful and runs with force. That's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking, Justin. Now, the final question of our show is Will Holmes. Talk to me about Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts, like Jordan Love, was put in a very unique position because the relationship between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson was deteriorating. It was calling apart. But I think with Jalen Hurts, he's got a year where it's going to be a rebuilding year. They're not going to win many games, but he has a chance to prove to Philadelphia, I'm the guy to build around. In an NFC's division, you might get a couple games off of Dallas. You might get a game off New York. Maybe not Washington. Their defense is going to continue to improve. But I think Jalen Hurts does enough. He doesn't necessarily have to win in my eyes because I think Philadelphia is back to the drawing board. Maybe you go 5-11 and 11 or 6-10, and 10, but you show enough of a spark, show enough to Philadelphia that you can be the guy. Jalen's a hard worker. He understands offense as well. He's been very well coached by Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban. He's been there, done that in the big stage. I think Hurts throws a good ball. I think he's very athletic and he's tough. He's Philadelphia tough. You need to fake. I think Jalen Hurts needs to show enough to be able to show to Philadelphia that they don't need to draft a QB. They need to draft weapons. And they really did that with Devonta Smith. They really showed that loyalty to Hurts. So maybe that's the boost that he needs. Maybe that that familiarity with Smith. That, Jalen Hurts, he just needs to prove it this year. He doesn't necessarily need to make the playoffs or anything. He just needs to, need to, he needs to show that he's got it. All right, that was that 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 was the man with the plan podcast. I do not know what I just did there. That was crazy, but that was episode thirty-five of the Man with the Plan podcast. We are on Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Consider subscribing or leaving a five-star review to let us know that you love what you're listening to. Guys, leave a comment on what you want to see next. I will see you guys next week, Monday or Tuesday. Expect a podcast to drop. My name is Grayson Mann. This was the Man with the Plan podcast. Pleasure being here. Have a fantastic weekend, and as always, take care.